Welcome to Your Best Riding Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Riders Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb, and each week I bring you tips and strategies from experts in the writing and publishing industry to help you excel in your craft. As always, I am so very glad that you're listening in. During this episode, you'll learn about how to write a book and strengthen your marriage at the same time, or how to write a book without killing your spouse. No, I'm sorry. No, we'll go with the first one. We'll go with the first one. I will tell you, I'm, I'm glad that we're having this discussion today, that we're having this conversation. And let me tell you why. I'm a writer and my husband is not. There are times that I sit in front of the computer and I may ponder for a moment. Well, if he happens to pass the computer and my fingers aren't active on the keyboard, he assumes I'm not working. Can I get an amen? There are times when I am in the midst of pondering what's going to happen next. And in that process, if I look like I have slowed down at all, then it is an open invitation for conversation that, of course, at that point, I'm like, babe, I almost had what I was going to write. I love you. What? I will tell you, we have an amazing couple here with us today. They're going to share their strategies. They're going to share what God has shown them. They are equipped for this moment, and we are going to equip you. Today, my industry experts are David and Tracy Sellers. This couple is passionate about bringing the truth of God's word to marriages. They minister to couples through a weekly 25-minute podcast. They do biblical marriage counseling, conferences, and men's and women's groups and retreats. Highlight that, folks. You may hear something that you're going to want to have presented real close to you, so keep that in mind. Seeing couples' hearts turn toward Christ and each other is their greatest joy. So welcome, please, David and Tracy Sellers. Welcome, y'all. Thanks for having us, Linda. We can't wait to see what God does today. Yeah, glad to be here. Good to have you. The first time that you're on Your Best Writing Life, I always love to go and peek behind your personal curtains, if you will. Would you share something about y'all we may not read in your bio? Whoever wants to take this, take it and run. Yeah, something that you wouldn't find in our bio, perhaps, is that we are a family who loves to do fun stuff together. Um, and when I met Tracy, she was a car girl, which was a pretty cool thing to me because I was a car guy. Well, since we've been married, we have had over 100 cars that we have uh, restored and uh, been able to enjoy and eventually sell to pay off a lot of different kinds of debt from student loans and houses and so on. So um, we've gotten to play a lot with a lot of different kind of neat cars. We do hot rods. We do classics. We do late model repairables to stay out of debt. So right now we are doing a whole bunch of fun cars. Yeah. Uh, my daughter who's 14 has got a 1960 VW Bug and she is doing all the work on it. In fact, she learned how to weld when she was five. And every place we go, she's an anomaly, uh, which I love. And uh, even though she's an extremely girly girl, you don't see a lot of girls that are 14 that have welded all of the rust repair on their own car that she paid that, for with her own money. That's right. She bought it with her own money. She saved up since she was four years old. David also got a hold of his high school car, like his original high school car, an 83 Capri. So he is restoring that. He's got a saline Mustang 
and a 41 Buick with a straight A, all kinds of fun stuff. So we have a great time with that as a family. This is fabulous, just fabulous. And I liked that you snuck this in that you've been able to pay off debt or get out of debt and stay out of debt doing this. And it's a family effort. That's fantastic. It's been such a blessing. And you have three teenagers and you say that they're all involved in this as well. They are, yeah. Yeah, because our oldest two, they're, of course, drivers. They just graduated from high school, both of them just about a month ago. So they need wheels. So they've had to learn how to do it on their own, but they're also debt-free. And now they've got the skills that they need to be able to do this later in life as well. That's perfect. Restoration on wheels. I love it. This is so good. So fun. I really would like to see pictures of your automobiles. I wish we could do that right <laughs> now, folks, but you, you know, you're just going to have to picture it in your mind. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And let's go ahead and head into our content for today. And we're looking at really how to write a book without breaking your marriage vows or without messing with the totality, with the God-given priority to marriage. I think that's really what I want to hear about. And I believe that's what we're going to receive. David and Tracy Many writers feel like their writing might be dividing their marriage. If they have that feeling, should an author continue to write anyway? Well, that is a little bit loaded of a question, but let me start by saying that I know all of us as Christian authors, we really have that heart, that desire to serve God with our writing. We know that, right? We want to teach, we want to disciple readers with the message that we want to write. So we've got this passion that we're working with. I think that's one of the main reasons that we keep showing up at the computer. I know it's the main reason I do, but, and this is a big, but if we hope to serve God with our book or our blog or articles or whatever we're writing, and we're not unified in our marriage, good luck, right? It's not going to work. Yeah. There's basically nothing that our enemy Satan would love more than using a good thing, like writing a book to divide a sacred thing, which is our marriage. I think he knows we'll be hard-pressed to have a God-honoring outcome on a writing project that is actually bringing division in your marriage. Yeah. So if God has called you to write, that is so awesome. We applaud you for that. We feel the same calling. We see God working through our writing, and there's so many testimonies that we know we haven't even seen yet that are going to come out of that. We're excited for that. But here's another but. We all have to remember something going into this. We have a higher calling that needs to be paid attention to before our call to write. I kind of like to think of it as our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria. Uh, If you go look in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I can't think of Jerusalem as the closest, then Judea, then Samaria. So like the dot on the GPS for the disciples was Jerusalem. And Jesus Mm -hmm. said, start right here. And I think it might've been tempting to want to go away to faraway lands who had never heard the message, but Jesus is is saying, Hey, start where it is close to the people who you already know. Tell those people who right now need to know this message and you've got the credibility with. Yeah. Our Jerusalem is our homes. Our Jerusalem is our marriages first. And we're going to have a hard time fulfilling our calling. I think to share Jesus with a lost world, whoever is reading our books, if we can't follow through with the commands that God has given us to follow in our closest relationships. 
I think it's so easy sometimes to be godly to a, to a stranger, to someone I don't know, someone I haven't met. But when God says, this is what I'm asking you to do in your marriage. I'm asking you to respect and forgive and to love your neighbor more than yourself. And who's my closest neighbor is my spouse. He says to speak life and to be patient and joyful. And that's tough when it comes to our marriages, because this person knows me better than anybody else. But if there's division between me and my spouse over my writing, then I can't put my focus on the Samaria or the ends of the earth just yet. That's got to wait. I've got to live out God's word right here, right now. And then the people that will read my book and my marriage too, we're going to be blessed because our calling as married couples is to be Christ to one another first. And I think that's really going to come through in our writing. It's going to come through when we love like Christ's love. That's going to come through whether we're writing fiction or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So even when we're putting these things into practice, of course, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be some clashing that can happen between you and your spouse. Um, you, you mentioned in the beginning some things that I'm sure I'm guilty of, uh, you know, saying, oh, hey, and I'm interrupting my wife in a, in a deep thought that she's working on writing at that exact moment. <laughs> Let's face it, we're sinners married to sinners. Um, I, th I think we have to be prepared for the fact that there will be misunderstandings when it comes to this kind of a project. But when that does happen, you can learn to live out what God is clearly saying in his word by always putting your marriage before your book. This means we're going to live out the fruit of the spirit, right? The, the the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control, the gentleness. Basically, what we're saying is God's not going to call you to do something that's going to shred your marriage in the process. God says in Malachi uh, chapter 2, 16, he hates anything that would basically divide a husband and wife. It's a sacred union that he has created. And the verse goes on to say, so guard yourself in the spirit. Do not break faith with your spouse. The picture that I want to paint here is that whether it's writing or really anything else, there can be a slow fade in marriage that happens when we prioritize anything in a God-honoring God order. So it, it could be even good things. If we put them in the wrong order, it's pretty easy for that thing to basically cause our marriage, marriage to fail, to fall apart. So right now where you're at, you're not necessarily seeing, okay, you know, this writing of a book is something that's like in direct competition with my marriage. But if there's a tension between you and your spouse, you need to sort of ask yourself, okay, are my priorities in alignment with what biblically they should be? It's actually less about having priorities that please your spouse than it is about having priorities that please God. Mm, this is true. <laughs> and I think at the start, of course, it never seems like it should come or it will come to, you know, writing versus my marriage. Um, but it's so important to look at the root of why we are disagreeing. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But I sort of want to finish this this question with this this statement. There's a song by a band called DC Talk that starts with this really profound statement. It says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This mm -hmm. is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Here's the main point. Why write a book that someone would find illegitimate by observing the interactions in your marriage and in your home? Now, am I saying you need to be perfect? Absolutely not. But we are suggesting you've got to keep first things first. This is about the process of being in pursuit, pursuit of God and the things he's asked you to do. 
So if you're more in pursuit of writing than you are of your spouse, might be time to pump the brakes. Mm, I love that car analogy there. Pump the brakes, folks. Do not press on the gas. You'll be very, very sorry if that happens. It almost ensures that a crash is right around the bend. I like what you said. We need to prevent that slow fade. The slow fade is what happens. We've heard the analogy of the frog that's in the pan and you turn on the water and just very slowly it starts to simmer. It gets yeah. comfortable. After a while, that's the end and you didn't realize that was coming. And that can happen when we get our priorities out of whack. Really appreciate what you brought with that. Here's another slant. I'm a writer. Writing is important to me. But my spouse sees my writing as a hobby. And it's starting to cause a lot of tension. How can I convince him this is something I really need to do? That is such a good question. And one that we... I think have to really wrestle with no matter what the topic is. It, it could be writing, it could be fishing, it could be lots of different things. When it comes down to it, writing is is one of two things in our lives. It is either a great big calling, a tool that God's going to allow to to use through us to fulfill the ministry he set us on, or it's a hobby which should be enjoyed and can be enjoyed. Now maybe this is something many of us have never thought about or really prayed about. And I want to ask the listeners, you know, for you, is this a calling or a hobby? And neither answer is wrong, but it's a key question that will affect every aspect of how writing is going to intersect with your marriage. So how do you know? That's the million dollar question. Is this a, a calling or a hobby? I think the first question that we've wrestled with is, could, could I definitively say that I would be in sin if I didn't complete this writing project, something that I'm working toward? And is, is the writing project you're working on to build God's kingdom or yours? This is so important. Uh, I know as, as a husband and right now, the, like I've got a, a job outside of um, what we do with Vows to Keep. The question I would have to wrestle with is, am I willing to risk my family's financial future to focus on it? Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong. If God's called me to do it, the answer should absolutely be yes to each of these questions. But on the flip side, it, you know, maybe maybe it isn't in those realms. Maybe it's something that God has laid heavy in your heart. Maybe it's something that is as deeply interesting to you. And that is still a valid reason to do it. So, so don't be, don't be discouraged in any way, but convincing your spouse um, that this is, that this needs to be a priority is actually something um, that I would say is probably the wrong place to start. And I would add to that by saying, maybe the best place to start is looking at your spiritual gifts even asking others, what do you see in me? What comes very naturally for me? Like, what are my talents? Sometimes we can be good at something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God intends us to devote thousands of hours a year to it. And let me tell you, with the books that I've written, that is what it takes. It is very time consuming. So that's why we need to do these two things to get clarity. So number one, we've got to get godly counsel. And I already referred to that. And we'll talk about that again in just a second. And then we need to really get serious with God in prayer about this. So let's talk about that godly counsel. If you look at God's word, and when I look at God's word, I see that he has a lot to say about this. Let me just read a couple of verses. But Proverbs eleven fourteen is one that I go to often because in isolation, we can be really misled. But it says where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. At, 
And we just, um, I think, have a tendency to rely on our own wisdom. So Proverbs, again, in three, five through seven, we're probably very familiar with this, but it's good to apply to this situation as well, where we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. We're not wise in our own eyes. So I would just encourage all of us to spend some serious time in prayer about this. And I just want to give you a couple things to consider as you pray. I think number one, just surrendering your desire to write to God. He's, you know, it's in your heart, lay it at his feet because every good and perfect gift comes from him anyway. Let's give it back to him and just have this deep honesty before God. Lord, is this this what you're having for my life right now? Is this what you're asking of me? And sometimes he might ask you to give it up for a season or to reset its priority in your life. And I think that's perfectly appropriate sometimes. It depends on the season that you're in and what God is specifically speaking to you. Ask God to show you anywhere, anywhere that your pursuit of writing has become a higher priority than it should. And that is so easy to get into that territory. And we've got to watch for that and just be teachable before him. And I think just like we see Jesus teaching us how to pray in Matthew, we need to ask for his will to be done. Lord, you open doors where you want them open. You close doors. I am going to follow hard after you, and I'm not going to follow hard after writing. If that's part of it, great, but you're the one I'm after. And I really think if we follow these steps in prayer and we seek godly counsel, there's going to be a lot of fruit in our marriage. We're going to see a difference if there's a tension right now. By calling our writing what it is, a hobby or a calling, we can move forward with clear direction. If God is calling you to write to build his kingdom, that's going to set your trajectory. It's going to set your priorities in the right order. And if the desire of your heart is to write, but he's just not opening the door right now, in my own experience, the more I push to make that happen on my own timing, the more frustration I feel. Mm, And that's going to have a direct impact on your relationship as well. My my husband's going to pick that up um, from what I'm feeling. I think Mm. being spirit-led in our writing, surrendering our writing is key to strengthening our marriages. I don't want us to miss this today. We can't misprioritize writing because we want to. If I'm not careful, I can be Tracy-led on even something that God has asked me to do. And I've run on ahead of God many times in my life, and it's never had the payoffs I was looking for. Yeah, if I can build on that just a little bit further, I, I think this is actually, I feel like in some ways we're giving like the doomsday answer to any writer who's hearing us right now. But but I think some of these topics are so hard to consider, but so critical to the unity of your marriage. If your family understands that you are doing kingdom building work, that what you're doing isn't about you, I think they're so much more likely to get behind it and be supportive. Uh, We can see in God's word, like someone like Noah, he was called to do something very specific. There was specific timing and dimensions and, and lumber and all these things, right? Sometimes there are seasons that are just like that. Uh, other times though, what, what we're talking about is, is really a lifestyle and, and there are such different implications to your family. So being, being clear about what you feel like God is asking of you and having unity with your spouse about that is so helpful to aligning your expectations. And listen, if it's a hobby, that doesn't mean it's something you shouldn't do by all means, right? Have fun with it. Get better at it. Get better at it. Use it for God's glory. But be fair, right? A hobby has got to be prioritized different than you might prioritize a calling. And if it's a hobby and you feel like this tension to write all the time, then as we talked about, really, it's it's time to get on your face before God before you take a lot of forward steps. 
And, and I would encourage you to also seek to pray with your spouse that God will provide you that wisdom on how this could be accomplished and on when. Mm. This really does tie into the next question because it does deal with finances. When we look at a hobby, there's different financial priorities than when we're looking at our deepest calling. This is, I must do this, therefore I must invest X, Y, Z. What do we do in this case? If we really feel as a writer, this is where I'm supposed to be investing my time. Number one, now I understand I need to make sure I'm on the same plate with my spouse. We need to make sure that we have prioritized, but I'm wanting to invest in learning the craft, editing, marketing, going to conferences, networking, and such as that. And for us to get on the same page, how, how do we do that? How do I prioritize appropriately? I hear you saying I need to make sure that I'm in tune with the spirit, but are there practical ways or please give me a one, two, three. Maybe <laughs> there's not a one, two, three, but I'd love to have that. I think that our okay. listeners would too. Wait a minute, hon. All we have to do is ABC. We're going to do ABC. We're going to be fine. That may not be what <laughs> it is, but I know that you have enlightenment for us. So go ahead and bring that on. Absolutely. And I do think time and money really both play into this. They aren't one and the same, but one plays off of the other. So whether you have decided that writing is a calling or a hobby, I think it's really good to be realistic about the demands of writing, both with time and with finances. So I've written three novels, I've written dozens of classes and conferences, and I've written hundreds of podcasts. And let me tell you that even though I can plan and I can do the quote unquote author math, you know, the reality is that it takes me longer than I think it will, or I can see a conference that's coming up and I can, I can see that, but it always ends up, you know, costing a little bit more than I had originally planned. So there's all kinds of things that, that will play into this, these things as a couple, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes, but let me just say to always work within your life parameters, whether it is time or money, ask the question, and this is something you and your spouse can do. This is maybe number one, Linda. What's going to give to enable this for time or for money? If I feel God calling me to devote more time to writing or maybe even more money, we could put that in there. Let's try this exercise here. Okay. Write down everything that you do in a day, everything you do in a week. And let me tell you, David and I have done this ourselves many times. Let's write everything down because we we sense God leading us to do something and there's not margin for it right now. So let's make some margin. So really take some time to devote to this. Look at your phone as part of this. Look at your checkbook. See how much time and money you're devoting to certain things. The result, I think, is sometimes shocking when we see it in black and white. And I think that anything that's on our list that is really not something that builds into God's kingdom can go. That is negotiable. If we are really, truly on mission, we've got our hand to the plow and we're saying, God, I want to build your kingdom, not mine. Some of those things can go. And let me tell you also that this exercise, along with other things, is going to be in the homework download that we'll provide as well. So as you look at your list, obviously, we've got to keep time with God, time with our spouse, time with our kids on the list. And if they're not on there, we need to add them in before we factor in our writing time, our author development. Same thing for finances. If there is a need that your family has that has to be factored in, 
before you consider writing an author development. So if you're wondering, okay, is this a hobby or a calling? Other things that are on your list that you know God has, has asked you to do, they absolutely need to stay. So we have to be careful that we don't replace and basically something that's a known with a, a hope or a dream. So if you're married, you know God is asking you to tend to that marriage relationship every single day. There's no exceptions. If you're a parent, it's the same kind of static known thing. And like I said earlier, for everything else on the list, if it's not something for eternity, it really can go. And then we can replace the time we would have spent, I've got my hand in the air over here, watching Netflix or scrolling through social media with writing, with author development, and we can see our skills and our ministry take off. I did this one time, I called it a no media month, Linda. So I took the whole month of August and I did not do anything but just the barest of email responses. I did nothing basically of entertainment. I said, God, you've got my time. What do you want to do with it? And it was amazing what God can do with our little tiny bit of faithfulness. He shows up with his gigantic boatload of faithfulness. My writing took off in a way I didn't expect. So exciting. So if this is a hobby that you'd like to use for the Lord, set some non-essentials aside. Ask him to open the doors. Same thing with finances. Set some non-essentials aside and say with your husband, hey, Maybe I could save up for this conference next year. And in the meantime, I'll keep writing. So I'll be ready for that conference. I'll have that proposal ready. I'll have that pitch ready and see what God does. I think it's so important also to do some planning in advance. Um, with Tracy, as we were just delving down this path, you know, a number of years ago, we started by really just making a list of all of the goals that she had. Like, what is it that you want to do? And and then line by line, trying to research and document those things to say, okay, well, what is it going to cost? How many hours will it take? Um, when does it fit into the family schedule? So, you know, Tracy's gone to some events that were during the summer worked out well because, you know, my job is one that I don't have the ability often to be able to go get the kids from school, for example. So in the summertime, it worked out perfectly. Um, there's all these different factors. And what we're really encouraging you to do is to make a plan. Um, so that starts by really thinking through on a very practical level, what is it that I would like to try to do? And then through prayer and just through conversation with your spouse, nailing down a, a plan that's that's sustainable. And as you, as you said, Tracy, figuring out what's going to go in order to accommodate that. And for us, you know, I remember at one point we, we talked about kind of adjusting like our eating out budget and some of these other things that are they're not necessarily things that have to be that way in order to make it so that other things had margin, you know, that we had margin for some of these other things. All right. Well, you both gave me exactly what it was that I was hoping you would provide. And we can't reiterate enough the importance of missubstitution. There are times with time that we think if I, oh, I know I should be spending time with my family. I know I should be spending time with my kids, but this is a great opportunity over here. And when opportunity replaces, for a better word, obligation, we can get ourselves in trouble. We can't get the time back with our kids. We can't get the time back with our spouse. And I believe one or both of you said this, 
God will not disrupt our home and direct us to something that's going to cause chaos in the house. He's going to say, you need to take care of the family. That comes before writing and everything else. Absolutely. You know, there are some parameters in there that we could probably go off on a tangent and we could be here for a whole week. We do that as a seminar. That'll work. Wait a minute. (laughs) Y'all do. Y'all speak on this. What am I talking about? Yes, we know where (laughs) to find you. So this is good. All right. What about this? The loneliness, the isolation, the feeling of going solo is prominent in and of itself for a writer. But when we have a family, we can sometimes feel very isolated and like we're doing it all alone, mm-hmm. even more so. How how can we get our family involved? Help us out. Yes, absolutely. Be- I can talk to this personally because when I was writing my books, I'm a little bit distractible, you know, so I I shut myself away in a separate room and I'm trying to focus, but then at the same time, I want to be with my family. And as we look at this topic, I really want to go back to what David said about Noah in the Old Testament. He's building the ark. And if we think about the task that he had ahead of him, it was bigger than something he could accomplish on his own. And in my own personal experience, sometimes I've said, okay, I'm going to go do this you guys stay over here and we'll stay separate. But I don't think God expected Noah to do that. And I don't think God expects us to go solo either. God's word is full of passages that talk about how we're part of the body of Christ. And our family is included in that. Noah's family, I think personally, was critical to his success and his obedience, his following through and just finishing what God had asked him to do. And his family members were probably heavily involved in making what God asked a reality. So what if he would have hid from his family the details and just said, hey, I've got this. I'll let you know when I'm finished and never shared the need, never asked for help. They might not have even gotten on the boat. I don't know. This was a big project and he involved his family. And I think God wants us to do the same. I don't think we're even going to be successful if it's just us. I do think that we'll be frustrated though And we'll always be in this tug of war situation with how we spend our time, how we think it should be spent, how our spouse thinks we should spend it. So here's a few ideas that I've used to use to include my family in my writing, even though they're not the keyboard typing, there are ways. I think there's eight of them here. I'll just try to go through them really quick. Number one, ask them to pray with you and for you about whether this is a calling or a hobby. And we touched on that just a little bit earlier, but just letting them know that you want to be within God's will on this is going to help them see, hey, you're not just trying to grab something for yourself. You're doing something that matters, something for God's kingdom. And as you go to them for counsel, this is number two, don't assume you know in advance what they're going to say. If you go with a humble, teachable heart, then hopefully they will reciprocate with, hey, I want to come beside you in this. And in the meantime, if they step on your toes in that conversation, you know what to do because God's word tells you. He says to forgive and to respond with love. And as they see you with that attitude, their hearts are going to be opened. And number three is one of my favorites because brainstorming with your family can be so much fun. If you write nonfiction, which we do that as well, you can brainstorm concepts and common questions. 
real life situations, even of their own, if you have their permission, there's a lot of neat things that come in that. And then when they see your writing or they hear your podcast, they're like, hey, I contributed to that. And same thing with fiction. When I've written my fiction, I've asked my family for storyline ideas, characters, problems they face. My son is a total history buff. And so I'll ask him and he knows right off the bat, hey, yeah, this is right. Or if he doesn't, he goes and checks it out for me. It's wonderful. And with the third book that I wrote, Roots Redeemed, it was literally a brainstorm with my, at the time, 17-year-old daughter. And she doesn't even read fiction. She refuses. She loves nonfiction. But it was so much fun to do that with her. And it was such a bonding experience for us. One thing I've done, number four, is I've based some characters off of a family member or I use their name or I've also dedicated books to them. That makes them feel like they're part of it. And a lot of times, Linda, like you, we live in the country. We're in the car all the time. So I'm like, hey, while I drive, can you type what I'm saying? Basically, will you be my stenographer? And that really also leads to brainstorming together and they feel like they're part of it. We do that all the time with Vows to Keep Radio. And I have had my kids read my books and look for errors because they can pick up things. They're in school. They've got the fresh grammar on, you know, in their brains so they can tell me and they can even give me their honest feedback. And here's another one. Number seven, update them often on what's going on. Don't exclude them. And when they have questions, answer honestly. I think sometimes writing can be a little bit like showing someone our artwork for the first time. Like we just don't want anybody to see it. At least that's me. I've let pride and embarrassment prevent me from sharing in the past. And that's really on me. My family's asking to be a part of it. And I'm saying, not yet. Let's wait till it's a little bit more polished. And then finally, encourage them in their own writing journey. Encourage them where they're at. Maybe they are wannabe writers. Maybe they're working on their craft. Maybe it's another thing that God's called them to do. Encourage them in that. And finally, I would just add this as a little PS. It's amazing how our giftings can intersect. Like when David and I counsel couples next to each other, we're gifted so differently, but in tandem, we are effective. So if you're a creative writer and your spouse is gifted in organization or administration, team up to be more effective for God's kingdom. This isn't about, hey, my calling is better or higher than yours because it's out there in the spotlight. This is, like I said earlier, the body of Christ in action right there in your marriage. We go back again to, is this our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria? We often think about the body of Christ just being sort of out there. They're at the ends of the earth. But It really starts in our marriages and our families. I love all of that. I mean, y'all, you're getting more tips than you expected to have during this time. But no worries. You don't have to write them down. I have a feeling they're going to probably be in what it is that you get to receive today. So I'm, I'm liking this a lot, liking this a lot. Well, I have a final question. And it's kind of a a little bit different, but it seems to be prevalent today. When we have a situation where the spouses will kind of say, well, I tell you what, I know I'd really like to go to this writer's conference. So if you want to go and buy such and such, then you go ahead and do that. And I will go to this writer's conference. So they're like trading favors. I'll do this if you'll let me do that. I mean, it sounds like that's a good, a good compromise 
does that work well with, with families or is there something we need to be aware of? Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. I have heard this advice myself, but let me just say before David says something Mm -hmm. that our answer might not be exactly what you think it might be, but I hope it's going to be really helpful. Yeah. What actually starts like an attempt to be fair is actually two people having a contract type of marriage. There's this scoreboard in the back of both their minds and in essence, what their marriage is, is like a big game of let's make a deal. A contract marriage is like you said, it's, it's, I will, if you type of exchange, it's an unspoken arrangement, which each of you is committing to try to help meet the other person's needs as long as they will meet yours. So, you know, I'll do my part around the house as long as, as you do yours. Um, I'll encourage you as a wife, as, as long as you're sensitive to my physical needs, you go out of your way to do favors for the other. So long as they will do favors for you, the whole thing falls apart though, because as we've heard different people in the Christian writing world, you know, really promote this view of marriage. There's a big lie lurking in the background. The lie is that marriage is an arrangement primarily geared toward our happiness, toward our fulfillment. And as long as my needs are met, my spouse, my marriage, well, it has value. The problem is that that's not how God sees it. That's not how God scores these things. Nowhere in God's word does he say we actually should be fair. In fact, God's word says we need to be unfair. We need to put others above ourselves. We need to make them first. And okay, as Christians, this isn't a surprise. We know this, but it's not how we live. Taking this kind of an approach of of trading favors has its end because when our spouse is no longer meeting our needs or we're led to believe that contractually, listen, you've not done your part. So it's okay for me to withdraw my investment in my spouse's life or, or it's okay to now demand my way. Basically what God's word is teaching us is, is that's not a marriage um, that is built on a contract. That is, I'm sorry, that is a marriage built on a contract. It's not one built on a covenant. Now, covenant marriage actually leaves the, us the most vulnerable because it actually requires that we trust that our spouse is actually, in fact, equally committed to loving us. Yet, even if they're not, we can't stop loving them. So we're obligating ourselves to sacrificially meeting their needs, even if they never return anything. Now, what I'm saying is decidedly unfair, but I want to take it one step farther. When Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, and he he makes light of this mystery, as he calls it, what he's really saying in this passage is that marriage is not this perfect picture of love, but rather a copy of the perfect picture of love. Christ's love for us as the church, that's the original And this is so important because most people walking around on earth actually don't really understand Christ's love for them at all, and they need to. So Christ's relationship with us is defined as this covenant. It's not a contract. He is faithful to us far beyond our ability to commit to him. He loves us far beyond what we deserve. God is not meeting our needs as a response to what we are doing for him. He cares for us. He loves us because he is God. And he's committed himself to do that. So hear this. 
Christ made himself incredibly vulnerable all the way to death. He kept, he kept his commitment to us, even though that meant that he would have eventually be nailed to a cross and die. So if you think your writing project is important, awesome. I don't disagree with you. But what if the season that you're in, there's a higher calling to actually focus on changing the culture of your marriage and your home? You see, someone who's using their spiritual gifts to serve others is someone who's very kingdom-minded. Each person looking for ways to help others use their gifts to work within their callings. That's, that's I think, a very ideal picture of what a, what a marriage could look like. Your goal is not to be fair with your spouse or even to be fair with your kids. It's to disciple them. It's to teach, to show a covenant kind of love to abolish all of the, you know, I, I will, if you type of, you know, aspects of your marriage to be someone who gives like Jesus gave. So I want to encourage you to encourage your spouse in their God-given calling without demanding reciprocation. I think the more that we are spirit-led, encouraging our spouse to operate within their giftedness, the more I encourage my kids and my spouse to ultimately live for God's kingdom. Now, here's kind of the scary part. Do you trust God enough with this writing and the project that you're working on to trust that he will provide a way? And I, I ask this because I believe that if God has called you to do this work, even if it's just a passionate hobby that he's put in your life, he will provide a way through your family. But you can't be impatient even if you feel it's a, a mission critical message to get out there, living in a contract kind of marriage to write a book that you wish to serve God with is a great way to be so heavenly minded that you're actually no earthly good. I think it's our natural tendency to demand what we think we deserve and to get into those trading scenarios. And when we're in that, it's a real clue to us that writing or author development maybe has taken too high of a priority in our lives. The progression that we teach on often goes something like this, and we'll put this in the PDF download as well. So it starts with beliefs, goes to standards, expectations, demands, rights, priority, and finally worship. So I'm just going to walk through that really briefly because this is so key. What we believe sets our standards. So what do you believe about your writing? And what, standard, what standards is that setting for you? Because when boiled down, our standards really are just what we expect. And here's where it gets a little bit dangerous because expectations maybe are something we could communicate to our spouse. But when we begin to demand them, that's when it goes immediately into, you know what, now I feel I have a right to this thing. What we feel we have a right to is what we think we have to have in order to be satisfied, fulfilled, and happy. And of course, what we think is going to make us happy is what we place in that highest priority and eventually becomes what we worship. Basically, it's what we allow to control our lives and our homes. And this is anything, not just writing. So how do you know if you've done that? Here's a way that you can know if you've made your calling or your hobby something that you feel you have a right to. If you've writing time set aside and something or someone interrupts you, how do you respond? You see, responding in anger or frustration, if your writing time gets cut into, reveals what's happening in your heart. 
God's word has a name for anything that rules our hearts over God. It's called an idol. I, I hate to use that term, but it's true. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Luke 6.45 adds that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's true. What's in our hearts is going to come out in our conversations with our spouse. It's going to come across in how we demand our rights. So I want to talk about four things that we just need to watch for if we're looking to trade, if we're demanding. So number one would be feelings of resentment. If there is a right that I feel I have and my spouse isn't meeting it, that's going to be the first thing that I feel. And I've got to take that before the Lord in prayer. I need to not only forgive, but maybe even ask for forgiveness. I need to lean into my spouse when they're not giving me what I feel like I deserve and love them with the love of Christ. And of course, feelings of resentment can lead to fighting. So the Bible teaches that as far as it depends on us, we should live at peace with our spouse and our children, with people around us, live at peace with everyone, it says. And if that means putting your calling to be a husband or a wife or mom and dad ahead of writing, then you can know and trust that God is going to honor that. Let your spouse know you've got your priorities in place. That will stop the fighting right then and there. It will also enable them to want to give to you. A fight usually originates from a demand that one person is placing on the other, and the other person is either not wanting to meet that demand or they want to have their demands met first. So don't enter into that territory like we talked about, Linda, the trading. I'll give you what you want if you give me what, what I want. Bartering doesn't deal with the heart issues, and God always goes after the heart. Bartering says, I'm going to help you get your idols, your misplaced priorities, so that you will give me mine. And that immediately creates division and tension, and the enemy loves it. And we have to watch out for demands, which is, I think, slightly different than that trading if we just tell our spouse straight out, hey, this is the way it's going to be, like it or lump it, it's not going to sound as positive to their ears as giving them their idols. But either way, they're both destructive steps for our marriage, basically that next step in that progression that we talked about. If you've been demanding, it, re it reveals that you've moved past trading. Now, if any of these are hitting home with you today, you don't have to stay there. There is some biblical action that we can take right away and not provide for ourselves. So number one, like I said, ask for forgiveness where it's needed. If you've put writing too high a priority, your family feels that. They know it. So make it right. Don't just hope that this new approach that you're doing is going to send them the message. Actually say it out loud so that true reconciliation can happen. That is so important. And then make it your goal. I love this verse in Romans 12, 10. We try to make this our goal in our house. Work hard to outdo your spouse and honoring them above yourself. And the thing is, I can do this with confidence because I know that God is going to be the one to reimburse me with blessings. I don't have to reimburse myself. And that is my default. But I want to start to close here by leaving you with this thought to think on. If God is calling you to write to build his kingdom, to affect people's hearts for eternity, he will provide exactly what you need to do his work. So you might be saying, okay, um, <laughs> this wasn't what I hoped to hear. How, how can I get the time that I need? Well, on a practical level, like I started to, to speak about before, um, it, it really starts by mapping out what it's going to take to complete your goals. So if you've got a, a book project in mind, 
now's the time to do exactly that. The, the Bible talks about no one building a tower without counting the costs. So let's say I've got 10 topics that I want to write on. And, and, you know, let's say I'm going to do a chapter on each of those topics and they're going to be, you know, 5,000 words long or whatever it may be. You basically want to do that author math that Tracy talked about. You need to figure out how many hours you need to do that. And then what you want to do is, is, is present this to your spouse, not as a, let's make a deal, but rather, do you see that this would actually build God's kingdom? Because you need your spouse to see the kingdom building side of this mission. If they are helping you to serve Christ, they are also serving Christ by giving you that margin. So if you've come up with timelines on your own in the past, before hearing this broadcast, please just throw those out for just a minute and, and revisit all of, all of this tower building concept, right? Document out what it's going to take and, and do this in a way that is navigated with your spouse so that you're not burning down your marriage in the process. Because if you do, you, you may have a book at the end, but you've really not won. When you're talking with your spouse, you want to make sure that you establish a pace that supports the biblical priorities of your life. So time with God, time with your spouse, time with your kids, and then use that to work backwards and say, okay, how much margin do we have? And from there, we can actually establish a target that is responsible based upon that. God will honor your work as you honor him with your marriage and your writing. He absolutely will. There's no doubt. You have given us so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for the journey that God has you on and your obedience to him in it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yes. It's our well, pleasure. I have, I have a question. This is off topic, but it's something, again, I love to ask my first time guest on your best writing life. So I'll start with David. David Sellers, what brings you joy? Gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nail down two things. Um, the first is I love loving people. I love mentoring people. I love meeting with people. I love being able to help people see how God can change their lives. Uh, the, the second thing I'd say is I love innovation. Um, I actually have a number of patents in artificial intelligence, and and I love just you know solving problems, uh, especially the problems that people say are impossible to solve, those are the ones that I love to hone in on. And, um, and I think it, it's, it's neat to see sometimes how God has creatively made this world, but also so often as, as I'm trying to solve a problem and I, I look at, Lord, what, what, what have you done in nature with things? Um, you know, and, and, and there's been many things he's, he's put planted in my head at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, I quickly try to write those things down. And next thing you know, it, it translates into some innovation that's now being used across the United States and Canada in hospitals and clinics. <laughs> so I love innovating Amazing. and uh, I love I love knowing people on a heart level. Hmm. He's, he's a smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Smarty pants. We need to have them. At least a couple pairs. Yes. So it's okay. Not a, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. All right. So I'll, I'll pass this over to you, Tracy Sellers. What brings you joy? I love traveling. 
So I don't always get to travel, but when I do, I love it because I love meeting new people, seeing how other people are living their lives, speaking into their lives and just enjoying new things. But since I don't always get to, I love keeping our love young between David and I by dating him because I feel like you can do so many unique creative dates with your spouse that keep your love young and kind of itch that traveling itch or scratch the traveling itch, if you know what I mean. You can do so many fun things and we like to be adventurous and try new things. And that is something that brings me a lot of joy. I like that. Your traveling buddy. It's always exactly. good. Exactly. Always we do love good. traveling together. Well, Sam and I, Sam and I enjoy that as well. We really do. We have an empty nest and a full life and we are absolutely blessed. So we thank the Lord all the mm -hmm. time. What beautiful joy, beautiful joy. Well, share with us, if you will, what you have for our listeners. In the show notes, there's going to be an email address that you can get a hold of us and get this great download that you can use for your own writing career path and for your marriage as well. It is author at vows to keep.com. That's marriage vows. So author at V O W S T O K E E P.com. And in the subject line, you can put your best writing life. And we would love to send you this because not only at the beginning of this, about half the first half is homework for you. I know we're marriage counselors, so that's just what we do. We send homework, but what it's going to do is help you to get into God's word specifically about this topic and really get before the Lord. And it's going to really bless your marriage if you do that. And then the second part of it is conversation starters to have with your spouse. Now that you've done this homework, now that you've been processing, processing, processing these things before the Lord going into his word, now it's time to have those discussions and they're going to be so meaningful and so impactful. Again, author at vows to keep.com subject line, your best writing life. We can do that. Do you have a marriage podcast? Can you tell us about that? Yes, we definitely can. So we have been doing radio broadcasts for about eight years, a weekly 25-minute radio broadcast. And now, of course, it's turned into a podcast as well. And this is you can search for Vows to Keep or Vows to Keep Radio. We're on all the major podcast networks. What we want to do in this podcast and what we believe God is doing in and through it is just using his word to build biblically healthy marriages, really understanding that not just the marriage passages in God's word apply to me right now with the situation, but all of God's word does. We include God's word in every single broadcast, and we know this is going to be a blessing to your marriage if you're looking to just refresh it and grow it into something greater, or if you are feeling like, I don't even want to stay in this marriage, there is something there for you. So go check it out. And we also have your historical fiction trilogy that you have out there, Tracy. So tell us a little bit yes. about that. Yes. So that just came out in late 2021, early 2022, Rapid Succession. So Roots Run Deep is the name of the trilogy. And they're, of course, on Amazon and all those good things. Really, these books are were so fun for me to write because they are historical romantic suspense. So you don't exactly know what's going to happen. I don't want to pick up a book and know what's going to happen. I want to be surprised. But really, God's word is woven in throughout the book, even though it is fun and entertaining to read. It's also going to be something as you turn the last page, at least my hope is that you would close the book and 
just be changed because God's word changes people. And then there's something fun that I did in this. I did a little contest called vows written in permanent ink. So I had couples enter a contest and if they won, their names are the first names of the characters in the book. And then they got to include their marriage story in the back of the book to just encourage you to keep your vows. Oh, that's so clever. How fun is that? Yes, it was so fun. Y'all have been just great. Thank you so very much. Thank you, David. Thank you, Tracy, for being here with us. Greatly, greatly appreciate you. And I'd like to thank you, friends, for joining us as well. Please take a moment to share this podcast with another writer or two. Give us a star rating. Post an episode review on this one. I'd really like to hear your thoughts. And be sure that you do hit subscribe. I greatly appreciate you because what you have to say matters as much as what you have to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being with you for our next episode of Your Best Writing Life.